So there is a sport that uh, some unique and odd individuals like. It's called cave diving. It's probably one of the most dangerous activities in the world. Um, the greater depths you go, it gets increasingly dangerous. And in South Africa, there is one of the deepest pits in the world. It's called the Bush Pit. Um, I tried to remember the Afrikaner name to it, and it, it slipped my mind. Uh, but it's almost 1,000 feet deep. And the first man that, uh, that, uh, that dove in there um, uh, went down and down and down and down, and he finally hit the bottom. It slopes. He hit the bottom at 860-some-odd feet. And it, he hit it so hard, it was mucky and muddy, and his feet got stuck in the mud. And he was struggling to get out. It took him two full minutes. Uh, he didn't delay. He immediately made his ascent back out. Now, when you're diving, you can't go back up the same that you come back down. You have to decompress on the way. And so it took him 12 hours to make his exit from that hole. Um, and so word got out about this very deep pit. And cave divers are notorious for loving, exciting new things. And so another man named Dion Dreyer in uh, 1996, he was 20 years old, a young man, decided he also wanted to dive in this pit. And he went down with a group of them, and they were there at about 164 feet. And his friends noticed that all of a sudden he was descending rapidly. And they tried to catch him, but they couldn't. Uh, and they reached the limit of their ability. And they saw his light descending down and down and down. They came back out of the pit. And Dion was gone. They shared this with his parents. They were heartbroken. They went back later with a little submarine and went down and tried to find him. And all they could find was his diving helmet on the bottom of the pit. It's gone. Ten years later, a man by the name of David Shaw, who was a pilot and uh, a cave diver, was so excited to learn about this pit. So he went there and he, he had a new system. It's called a rebreather system. It's where when you breathe out, it goes through and it circulates and it filters out the carbon dioxide and it keeps the oxygen and then, then you rebreathe it. And so there's not bubbles coming out like there is a typical open system. And so uh, it, it was kind of new in his time, and he had gotten his particular system from the United States Navy. And uh, it's excellent for cave diving, because if you go into passages with a regular system where bubbles are coming out, uh, those bubbles will stir up the silt, and there's no movement of the water. And so it takes a long time for that silt to go back down. And you can imagine stirring up the silt, and you have a bright light, and you're trying to see where to go. It can be very dangerous. It is dangerous. Many cave divers have lost their lives. So he's pretty excited about this new system because of how it worked. So he found out this particular pit, the bush pit, and he um, arranged to go there, and he, was, and, and he came in, and uh, he went down, 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 and he reached a point of 927 feet. And he still had some time because of this system. It allowed him to uh, come up quicker. And so he spent some time along the bottom there, swimming around this large cavern at the base. And he was just a few minutes going around one side, and he sees a form of a body. And he gets closer, and he thinks in his mind, this must be this guy Dion. 
And so he grabs Dion and he thinks, I'll just bring him back up with me. And he grabs him and he tries to pull him, but he's stuck in the mud. It's very soft down there. And he pulls and he pulls and he's wrestling. And immediately he realizes he's exerting too much energy. He shouldn't be doing this. He's going to have to come back another time and bring him out. So he makes his ascent back out. And he gets to the top and he said, I found Dion. I'm bringing him back out. So he actually went and met Dion's parents. And he said, your son is in the bottom of the pit. Do you want me to bring him out? And the father thought for a moment. He said, there's nothing more than I would like to see my son one more time. And so David made this commitment in his mind. He was going to go down. He was going to retrieve his body. And so uh, word got out that he was doing this. News agencies found out about this. They put a camera on him. Dion's parents were there at the edge of the pit. And he and his friend, uh, John Shirley, went in the water and dropped beneath the surface. The plan was that David was going to go to the bottom, put him in a specially made body bag that could accommodate fins, and bring him up. Uh, Mr. Shirley was going to wait at a certain level and help him if he needed any help, and then go on up. Uh, but David Shirley, I mean, John Shirley also had equipment where he could descend to the bottom if he needed. And so they went down. First, David, he went to the very bottom. The water was clear. And... Uh, John Shirley followed him down to about 500 feet, and looking down another 400 feet, he could see the light down there working. And then he saw the light stop moving. That wasn't good. That's not a good sign. And so he began to try to descend, and as he got down to about 880 feet, he heard this loud bang. And he saw that his controller had just collapsed. This was serious. He still had to ascend. He had probably another 10 hours to get out of the pit. And he realized that he would have to manually control everything. He wasn't able to do it automatically like he had been. And he was going to have to leave. He looked down again. The light wasn't moving. He made his ascent, and he came out. Four days later, five days later, um, as they were trying to pull up some equipment, um, the two bodies surfaced. David Shaw and Dion. The camera was still attached to David Shaw. And as painful as it was, they put it in and watched a video of the last little bit of his life. When he was there at the bottom, he was surprised because Dion was no longer stuck in the mud. He was there, just there, floating. And he was trying to get him in. And as John Shirley was watching, he recognized that David was taking too long. He should have he should have gotten him in, but because he wasn't in a position, he was floating around, it took him much longer to get him in the body bag, and it just wasn't working. And he began to struggle and grunt, and, and he, it wasn't happening, and he should have just quit. But the pressure of everyone above expecting him to bring him up must have kept him there. And he waited too long, and he died at the bottom. He gave his life in a rescue mission to rescue a dead body so that his, these parents above could have peace. Wow. When I think about God and the rescue mission he enacted for us, we're dead in sin. God was willing to give his son to save us. It's powerful. 
It says in Philippians 2 and verse 7, but Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now we think of becoming a human. For us, it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, that's who we are. But Jesus is the illimitable God of the universe. And the Bible says he emptied himself to become like one of us. Wow. When you think about when that decision was first made, when Adam and Eve sinned and the father and the son conferred with each other and the son said, I will go and pay their price. At times, I think, probably in my own mind, a somewhat sterile thought. I mean, he's God. I'm glad he did it. I'm grateful. But what did it, what passed through his mind? What emotions? God has emotions. The spirit can be grieved. What emotions must have passed through the father's mind and heart when the son said, I will go? We have a little bit of an insight. Um, yes, Brandon, I can do that. Uh, we have a little bit of insight here. This is in early writings. Said the angel, do you think the father yielded up his dearly beloved son without a struggle? No, no. It was even a struggle with the great God of heaven whether to let guilty man perish or to give his darling son to die for them. It was a struggle. God considered the cost, what it would cost his son. Praise God, he found it to be worth it. He wasn't just going to rescue a dead body. He was going to rescue men and women dead in sin and redeem them from their sin. Praise God. I want to read the scripture in Luke that is often read this time of year. Luke 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I've often wondered what it was like the last few moments between the Father and the Son in heaven before he came. And Jesus could have failed in his mission. It was possible. They were to be separated in a way that they had never been before. And I, I wonder about those last moments. An embrace. A rescue mission. God giving his son. We quote the words in John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son." What did that cost God? What must have that been like? Mary didn't know how to receive these words. She didn't understand the greeting. And the angel told her that 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Powerful. Jesus came on his rescue mission, and he was successful. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There is hope and help in Jesus, amen? But Jesus didn't engage in this work apart from us. When the apostle, well, he wasn't an apostle at the time, when, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was confronted by Jesus, Jesus sent him onto Damascus and he told to go meet Ananias. You will meet Ananias. He was sent to the church. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't engaged in the work of redeeming Saul apart from his body. God gave his church to be a part of his acts in redeeming mankind in this rescue mission. And his church is made up of young and old, a variety of people. And he wants us to be engaged in seeking to save the lost. At times, as young people, it's easy to become engaged with the things of this earth. And we dabble with them and we play with them until soon we become trapped. I mean, I think of David at the bottom down there. He had all this pressure from people above and he was trying to um, make sure that they were happy and he wanted the father and the mother to be reunited with their son, and he spent too long at the bottom. Do you think it's possible that we spend too long at the bottom? That the things that we bring into our life, we spend too long with these things. And when we're young, we think, well, I always have time to change. But there comes a time in our life where we can't. We become stuck. And I praise God for my friend Sean today, who after years of being dead, responded to the Spirit of God in his life and recommitted his life to Jesus in baptism. Praise God. But that can be a warning for the rest of us, right? We don't understand always where the end of our path will be. But we have warnings in Scripture. God has given us our parents, those around us, to give us caution. Young people, God sent his son to save you. And he has a purpose for you to be a part of his army seeking to save the lost. There are many youth out there that are busy with the things of this world, but God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light to be soldiers in his hand. I would challenge you at the end of this year, 2018, to say next year, I want to follow Jesus' example. I want to empty myself. I want to humble myself and be used of God to make a difference in someone else's life. God has called the youth to be mighty warriors in his hand.
I pray that in 2019 that you'll experience his power in your life. So as we close out the last AY, I'd like to invite you to kneel with me. And let's thank God for being with us this last year, for the work that he has done and is doing, and we'll commit ourselves to him. Father in heaven, we have paused this evening and thought about some serious things. We've thought about the sacrifice that you made in giving us your son. We've thought about the work that Jesus has done in making a new and living way for us and the calling you have in our life. Lord, as we think about this last year, it's over, it's done, the decisions are made. Thank you for being with us throughout that year. And this next year, Lord, we desire to walk with you in, in power and in strength. Lord, I pray for the young people in this church that when they're tempted to spend too long at the bottom, that they will look up in the light of Jesus so that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Lord, may the youth in this church be a mighty army in your hand going forth conquering and to conquer. Father, we are grateful for the sacrifice you made in giving your son. We want to commit ourselves to you afresh this evening and give you ourselves totally and completely. This evening as we have some fellowship together in the, uh, in the gym, we look forward to spending time together. Uh, Lord, guide our conversations May they be uplifting and encouraging and bless our time together, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.